Hey everybody, I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club. We are so excited to have you here today to talk about the future of podcasting. There's been so much movement in this industry all of a sudden. Apple launching its podcast premium subscriptions, uh, Clubhouse's rise and people starting to make podcasts out of their Clubhouse shows, Facebook butting in with its new Soundbytes app. And so today I wanted to bring together some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry from both founders of companies building new ways to discover podcasts, some of the biggest podcasts networks in the world, as well as some of the creators themselves. And so thank you guys all for joining us today. And I want to kick things off straight to you, Connell. Maybe you could just tell us, what do you think are some of the biggest trends impacting the podcasting industry right now? I think across the last year, we've all been through a, a, a different year, to say the least. I think some of the coolest stuff we've seen in podcasting is just the different genres of content that have started to rise a little faster than previously. So this was a medium obviously dominated by true crime content for a long time. Different genres started to appear and grow faster than true crime. Comedy and news were the fastest growing genres in podcasting in 2020. And it may seem obvious on, in some senses, news, because there was a ton going on in the world and we were all trying to keep up. And I think podcasting did a really good job doing that keeping us informed and comedy was sort of the flip of that, giving us a little bit of relief. You also saw a lot of other genres too. Fiction exploded, cooking content exploded, genres that we might not have associated too closely with podcasting previously suddenly started to pop up in the top 150, even 10 shows. I thought that was really cool. Anytime you open up a medium to a bunch of new creators who do those different kinds of genres who may have thought previously, that's not really my medium. I guess all they do is listen to true crime. That's a pretty cool moment for us. It means a lot of other people can jump in and they did. Mike, I'd love to jump uh, over to you. You're the CEO of Red Circle, one of the top podcast hosting companies. We'd love to hear a little bit of what you're seeing as the major trends affecting the industry right now. Thanks for having me, Josh. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really along similar lines to what Connell just said is really about growth uh, in all of all of 2020, whether it's new podcasts being created. There was just an outstanding explosion of that uh, in the last year and a half, but also growth on the listener side, growth in, in spaces and times where people are listening to podcasts, right? Everybody expected podcasting to kind of just uh, fall apart as everybody stopped commuting and stopped going to the gym last year. And, um, and that just didn't happen. So, you know, if you're like me, you're listening to a podcast every minute of the day, you know, while, you know, finding your headphones so you can go do the dishes. And then international growth too. We're just seeing more and more stuff happening outside the United States as well, both in terms of listenership and in terms of the business of podcasting. So just very exciting year for an industry that's been around for, you know, many, many, many more years than just the last few, but has multiplied, uh, you know, tremendously uh, in the last 18 months. Ada, I'd love to throw it over to you. You're the CEO of Shuffle, an incredible podcast discovery and conversation app where you can actually have timed comments and live discussions with other people listening so that you can find out what other people think about what you're hearing. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little about you think, what you think are some of the major trends impacting the industry right now. Yeah, for sure. So I think one major trend right now is the rise of internet fandoms. Uh, and that's not just tied to podcasters, but to all creators broadly, right? And, and we talk about uh, the creator economy all the time. I think for podcasts, where it's so different is that it's such an intimate medium, right? The creator is in your years. If you're Bill Simmons, that's like 10 to 15 hours a week. Uh, and we just see so many passionate fans around this content because it's so intimate, right? So oftentimes parasocial relationships form. And I think the one really interesting opportunity we see is 
you know, being able to unbundle these podcast communities from uh, places like Reddit, Facebook groups that are just not built for it, right? Uh, and tied to this on the other side, creators are trying to find ways to monetize. Uh, and we definitely see a lot of experimentation going on anywhere from NFTs to what Apple is trying now uh, to Spotify's strategy with programmatic ads. Awesome. So I want to bring it over to Steve. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're th- seeing in the podcast industry. You, know, you worked at Apple for years and years and years, helping with editorial for podcasts and who gets discovered. So I would love to hear your thoughts on, on what are the biggest trends affecting the industry. Yeah. Hi, guys. Steve Wilson. I'm Chief Strategy Officer at Qcode Media. We specialize in scripted fiction podcasts. We work with A-list celebrity talent and uh, make really high, high quality sound design immersive experiences. As you mentioned, I spent a long time at Apple, about 15 years working on podcasts and audio. I did editorial, partner relations, and marketing. But uh, I'm so excited to be at Qcode now. And really, um, you know, as I look at what's happened over the podcast industry over the last uh, many years, I think, you know, you could simply put it to the fact that, you know, podcasts have gone truly mainstream. There's been a, a great virtuous circle, of course, in, in monetization and new publisher investments, which have led to, you know, platform investments and uh, you know, that's obviously continued. So I think, you know, the, the, the sheer fact of the matter is podcasts have gone mainstream and we're seeing uh, incredible platform investments signified, I think, finally by Apple's launching uh, for the first time in its history, direct monetization features for, uh, for podcasters within their, within their app. So excited to talk uh, more about all this with you guys tonight. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, Donald, what are you thinking about what's going on in the industry right now? And maybe you could tell us a little bit more about, uh, about Tenderfoot. First, thanks, Josh, for having me. Donald Albright, president and co-founder of Tenderfoot TV. Uh, we are a production studio started in 2016 with one podcast, Up and Vanished, which was a true crime podcast. Without, you know, we didn't start with the intention of actually starting a podcast company. We actually wanted to get into the TV film space and podcasting was kind of the, had a lower uh, bar of entry. Uh, so we took that route instead and ended up falling in love with the medium, creating more content. And we're still here uh, nearly five years later. Uh, as far as what's going on today, I think podcasting, kind of what, what Steve mentioned, um, they've gone so mainstream now that podcasts are the trend, right? And I think that presents a lot of opportunity and muddies the waters a bit when you're trying to uh, find discovery. So I think with over, I think, maybe 2 million podcasts now on Apple Podcasts alone, you know, we have to really figure out ways to connect with listeners and to find listeners. So as the industry grows, as consolidation obviously is happening all around us, really figuring out how are we navigating this in a way that's really responsible for the growth of the industry so that stories like Tenderfoot TV can still exist in 2022 and the industry isn't shrinking to a place where a new startup uh, really can't get the attention that we would, that we were able to get in 2016. Great. And Julika, maybe you could tell us what you're, you're seeing in the podcast industry. I know you work with tons of podcasters and helping them improve their craft. So I'd love to hear, you know, what the sort of community buzz is about the issues that they're facing. Sure, sure. Thank you so much uh, for having me tonight. I love nerding out about podcasts. So for me, uh, there are two big trends um, across the industry. One is the corporatization of the creative side of part podcasting where people want to centralize and they want to codify and all the very good intent um, with varying degrees of success, I would say. And so there's that push. People want to be uh, more institutionalized in their thinking and in their acting around podcast and podcast creation. And then 
the opposite of that is also true, where we have an influx of really brilliant creators coming into the space and really tinkering with the formats and with the genres and with how we find audiences. And so for me, that's really exciting because I, I think that there's a lot of creative elasticity in our space. And so I really want people to break things and try things so that I can learn from their experiences and be inspired by that. And so I sort of straddle, you know, as, you know, having founded a network four years ago and having now, you know, created five original shows and over, you know, 15 shows for for clients, I really straddle that line between the corporatization of podcasting and the really burgeoned creative drive that I think is really going to propel some of the, the more creative minds and creative thinkers in the industry. And I think it's both good. I just think that pretty soon people are going to hit that fork in the road and they're going to go one way or the other. Um, and, you know, that's just evolution. Well, I don't think we could have a better emblem of corporatization of the podcasting space than what Apple announced this week, which is that it is now going to allow people to sell premium subscriptions to podcasts, where as an in-app purchase, you can pay for, you know, month-long subscriptions to exclusive premium podcasts. But it's going to be charging its 30% tax on creators and it's going to charge them $20 a year. And to me, you know, when Apple just has so much money and what I think it's really been getting hammered in across the market is the expensive taxes that it lays on creators, especially when you think that, you know, other platforms, you know, they don't get to keep that money. They pay that 30% tax to Apple. Apple's keeping the tax for itself in this case. And that makes it a lot harder for other platforms to really succeed in competition. So Steve, you know, you worked at Apple for a decade. You know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what do you think is the strategy here? And what was your reaction when you heard this? Like, is this good for the podcasting industry? Or is this going to cause more balkanization where people are going to have to have different podcasts and different apps? And it kind of ruins the open, very democratized standard that podcasts were originally envisioned and built upon? Great questions, Josh. I think um, these are these are definitely the things that we as publishers need to think about. And I guess I want to be clear up front, guys, that uh, you know I no longer work at Apple. I'm not speaking on their behalf. And, and certainly there's going to be a lot of questions that, uh, that you know, I'm not going to be able to answer because of, because of NDAs. I guess what I'll say is based on my experience, and I think my thinking as a, uh, as a leader in a podcast publishing company, I personally think that the terms of Apple's uh, service for Apple podcast subscriptions are quite good. You know, they're offering hosting of premium content and monetization features for a flat rate of $20 a year. And if you compare that to other hosting services out there on the market that offer flat rate pricing, you know, you might have something like SoundCloud Pro, which is $100 a year. But oftentimes podcast publishers are paying for bandwidth for their own shows. I think this is something that a lot of people don't not, not might not quite necessarily realize across the industry is, um, you know, podcast publishers are actually shortening the cost of bandwidth in many cases for distributing on major platforms where part of that value exchange, of course, is exposure, but uh, the platforms are building audiences off of content while always offering hosting. And now, of course, this is changing a lot. Spotify's bought Megaphone and Anchor and offering those sorts of services. But I think, you know, it's it's quite exciting, I think, and a, and a good value exchange to, so of course, set up uh, some hosting, unlimited hosting at that if the show blows up your cost of bandwidth isn't going to increase. And, um, you know, some of the features of, uh, of that exposure come with, come with a bit of rev share. So uh, again, I, I can't really speak on behalf of Apple. I'm speaking on behalf of myself um, and how I'm looking at things as I move forward, um, you know, on the publishing side of the podcast industry. 
What do you think about podcasts going premium in a way that they're really locked to a single platform? Do you think that that's positive for the industry overall? Because yes, that's certainly going to help creators get paid. But at the same time, I think it's really harmful for the user experience. I hope we don't go in this direction. We narrowly averted this when it came to streaming music. At first, it really looked like every service was going to try to pay for different exclusive artists. And you're basically going to have to have all these massively redundant uh, music streaming subscriptions just to be able to get to listen to all of your favorite bands. A lot more similar to how it is with movie and TV streaming, where it can be really difficult to actually be able to listen or watch everything unless you're willing to pay a lot, probably more than you used to pay for a cable subscription even. Uh, but at the least there, you might pick one thing per night to, to watch and you aren't going to find like random gaps in the in the playlist uh, or things you just feel like you're getting excluded from. Uh, so maybe you could tell us like, what do you think, Steve? And, and happy to open this up to everybody else. You know, do you think uh, these premium exclusive podcasts on certain platforms are good for the listening experience and good for the industry at whole? Different exclusive content has been a trend in podcast over the last many years. You know, Stitcher was offering Stitcher Premium. Luminary had an early attempt to create their own platform. There was Laughable. You know, there's been lots of experimentation in creating subscription services and having uh, exclusive content. Of course, Spotify is doing this themselves. And I think what's actually exciting about what Apple has done here is they are turning on monetization options and the ability to set up a subscription, but they are not asking for that content exclusively. So Qcode, we are launching Qcode Plus on Apple podcast subscriptions, but we are looking to launch Qcode Plus elsewhere. Uh, similar to how you know we all are able to subscribe to Netflix and we can watch Netflix on Apple TV, we can watch it on Roku, you can watch it on Amazon Fire. Uh, you know what I think Apple has really turned on here is the ability for media companies like QCode to think of themselves, and we kind of do and aspire to be, you know, the HBO podcast, making high quality immersive content, investing in rich sound design. You know, we just by the way don't do chat shows. We do fully scripted podcast with, you know, amazing creators like Lamorne Morris and Matthew McConaughey, Demi Moore and others. And we can, you know, build a subscription around that content on Apple podcasts and we can do that elsewhere. So I'm actually really excited to learn about other technologies and things like what Mike is building, because, you know, I think that there's going to be a need in the industry actually for service providers who can help set up our subscription on other platforms where those are available. And, you know, I'd certainly welcome the the same feature set from Spotify would be excited to, and, and am Excited to consider them a fantastic partner. And yeah, I want to set up uh, set up QCode Plus other places. I think there's going to be a need, as I said, for a technology solution, a company out there sort of doing what, like, uh, for example, BamTech did and the way that they enabled subscriptions for Disney and now power Disney streaming services in a variety of uh, places. So anyway, all that to say, I, I'm just really excited about how this doesn't, uh, Josh, create that you know necessary silo just on Apple podcasts or in other places as this isn't really exclusive. So I'd love to hear the audience's perspective too. So if you want to weigh in on this, we'd love to hear your your thoughts. And if you have questions for the panel, we could also take those. Uh, to get those in, just go to constein.club. That's my last name. You can just tap on my little face. You'll see it in my profile, but it's constein.club. And you can go and chat and as, as well as submit questions uh, via this awesome website built on top of spore.gg, a great creator economy uh, website builder. So I want to open it up to the rest of the panel though. What do the rest of you think? Um, Donald, Ada, Julia, uh, what are you thinking about how this is going to affect the podcasting landscape? So one thing I'm actually really excited about is that uh, this represents, for what Apple is doing, I think that's a huge improvement to the user experience, right? 
Um, right now, uh, with the way they're implementing it, it seems like it's just going to be a one click to check out with Apple ID, right? Compare that to kind of the options right now. Let's take Patreon, for example. You'll need to visit a link uh, from hearing in the podcast. You then need to create a Patreon account. You need to add your credit card to Stripe. Then you need to add a private RSS feed back into any podcast player. This seems like a not so good user experience to me. Um, I guess in terms of cons, though, uh, typically, you know, for something like Substack, you pay 20% in, in commission, but uh, at least you own the customer, right? For podcasts, uh, the problem for creators is even if their fans are paying on Apple, they won't have a way to get in touch with them, right? So for example, I could, I've listened to Tim Ferriss for years, but he has no idea that I exist. Right, uh, and I'm not on any email list either. Uh, so that seems pretty backwards in in terms of uh, the creator economy in 2021. So we're um, getting ready to launch three shows on on the subscription uh, that are going to be exclusive to the platform, and we're really excited because with each of those, we're actually going to deepen our relationship with existing audiences for a show. In terms of the 30 percent, it's actually what ad agencies command for the services that they provide creators. And so it's pretty compa- comparable. So I was not taken aback by that. Um, and, I, and I think that the $20, you know, a year fee is really cheap um, because that's more than we pay, you know, for our distribution platform, more than most people pay for, you know, premium services. But for us, the opportunity here is to, for example, launch our first ever Spanish language show, right? Which is going to be targeted to a um, substrata of our existing birthful audience. So that now we're going to get to talk about pregnancy and and the the beauty of birthing and, and childcare and all these things to a Latina audience that is already coming to the show. But now we're producing content that is exclusive for them and asking them to then come into a exclusive community that's just for them. And so that's really exciting for me as a creator. The potential also, obviously, of the marketing machinery that is Apple and now its ubiquitous existence on iOS is also really appealing because I simply could never pay for that kind of exposure. And the ease with which people will be able to find us by doing keyword searches and by just looking at categories, for example. And so as a very, very small creator in the space, who wants to have a slightly bigger creative footprint, I, I definitely welcome the opportunity to drill down and focus on really over-serving the audiences that we're already serving. I'm happy to be the bad guy here for a second if we, if we need somebody <laughs> to be the bad guy. Get uh, it, Mike. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so first of all, let me say, I think it's an amazing achievement. Like th- this is going to unlock revenue for creators that didn't exist before and a consumer experience is going to be a lot better. And, and all of that is a very big positive for the industry. You know, in China, there are multiple unicorn companies that play in paid audio and they're as a result, you know, lots and lots of money made by audio creators through those opportunities. So that is all very good. If I'm a creator right now uh, and I'm looking at this solution, I'm a little bit anxious. 30% isn't competitive with the solutions that happen off platform. Patreon's highest tier is 12%. Our, Our pricing is also 12%. There are others that are lower. You don't get access to the subscriber, any information about the subscribers, like their email address or anything like that, or any way to, to co- sort of contact and get in touch with them. 
You also don't get data. You know, Steve, Steve made a great point, which is Apple is now hosting this, this custom audio or, or this, uh, this audio that's behind the paywall. And that's great because it makes the, the bandwidth free. Of course, Red, Red Circle, by the way, is totally free, but that's a separate conversation for another day. On the other hand, you're, you're not going to get stats on those downloads on your podcast hosting platform like you're used to as a creator. So you're sort of missing a lot of stuff and they're taking a bigger fee in exchange for what is clearly a better user experience for the consumer. And so that's a choice you have to make, I think, as a podcaster. You know, do you want to make this as seamless as possible for your customers in exchange for another 15% or so and, and to lose access to them? Or do you want to make sure that, you know, you get the email address and you can take your audience with you uh, wherever you want to go? Altogether, though, I think it's, it's generally awesome. And I think a lot of people, a lot of creators are going to make a lot of new money from this, which fundamentally is a good thing. My take on this is that there are a lot more pros than cons. I think... I agree that initially when we were kicking the tires on doing Tenderfoot Plus, it was all about the connection with our listener and, you know, getting that data and those email addresses. But that's self-serving, right, for the company. The better listener experience um, is, I believe, what Apple is, uh, is providing. And although we may want those email addresses, maybe the consumer just wants the content, right? So maybe we're putting something extra on them that they don't want to sign up for because that's what we want from them. So I think this puts the listener first. and one of the main reasons why we decided to go with uh, Apple podcast subscriptions for Tenderfoot Plus is because the clunkiness of getting from, you know, hearing about this subscription service to going to a website and putting your email address, getting an email, clicking a link, putting your credit card information. All of that is just a process that consumers don't want to go through. Like we're used to see it, click it, I own it. And that's what this provides. So I think for a company like Tenderfoot, where 60% of our listeners are already listening on Apple Podcasts, it makes sense for us in particular because we know we can at least hyper-focus on the 60%. And I think the other reason why it's good, I think, in general for all listeners is that there's a lot of content that you want to put out as a creator, but it's not always a place for that content. So if I have five bonus episodes, only maybe 20% of my audience actually wants that content. So if I flood my feed with that content, I'm pissing off 80% of my listeners. And my, my feed is now getting uh, unrecognizable. It's hard to follow what's going on. Now I can say, look, 20% of the audience, if you want this, you can go right here to get it. It's one click away without having to disrupt the listener experience and, and have a bunch of alerts popping up for new episodes that 80% of the listeners don't want. That's great. Uh, Kanal, uh, I'd love to hear your, uh, your perspective here as well. I agree with a lot of uh, what what Donald said too, I think for a whole tranche of creators, this is a great solution, especially long tail, maybe indie star creators who want to go an independent route. We had a different model. We distribute every episode of every show we make everywhere where you can listen. It's an ad sales driven model. It works for us just because it's pretty aligned. We want to work with the best creators, get them the biggest audiences to deliver to brand scale, and that it works. I do worry a little bit about the balkanization of podcast listening, as you say. I think at the at where we are in the stage of podcasting, just hitting mass reach scale. I'm a little trepidatious about starting to chunk up this episode there and that episode over there through paywall and exclusive distribution. So we tend not to do it. But I'm happy for folks like Donald, who who this serves as a solution for them to not focus and spend and invest on a part of their business that they were going to and instead just focus back on content. 
Well, we luckily have one of my favorite podcasters joining us as a surprise guest. Please welcome uh, non-technicals, Alexis Gay, incredible, incredible comedian. If you've seen those awesome TikToks about uh, every conversation in San Francisco, you probably already know Alexis, but we'd love to hear your perspective on, on what's going on here. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to be here, especially because in addition to being a podcast host, uh, I also worked at Patreon for three years on the go-to-market side of the house. So I'm very invested in this space. Specific to Apple Podcasts, I got to say, Mike, you and me, buddy, I think we're the most aligned up here because for me, yes, there are a lot of pros to having a really easy conversion funnel from listener to subscriber all the way to a payment but you're missing out on the opportunity to capture the email addresses. And for this reason, as an independent creator myself, to me, there are more cons than pros because if I was thinking short-term, like I'm going to have non-technical for the rest of my life, maybe that would be fine. But I'm thinking about the future. I take a very long-term approach when I make my content. And what I focus on is not just building podcast listenership, I think about building my audience. And one of the biggest problems as a creator that I have, and that many independent creators have, is learning who is in your audience. And if you're missing out on collecting that information in a payment moment, oh my God, I mean, that's like one of the best ways you can capture that information at all, ever. So for me, I'm very hesitant to sign up for something where yes, I'm getting paid, but the cost of losing out on the contact info is so great. Yeah, I wonder about that discussion because you know I, I hear what Don was saying, which is that you know not every user wants to give up their email address. They don't necessarily want to get spammed by the creators. They might just want to listen to them. But at the same time, yeah, it makes it really difficult for creators to build a long-term stable business. And the other thing that I'm I'm a little concerned about here is just that you know if we allow these platforms uh, to to run these subscription and premium uh, opportunities, you know what's going to happen though is that you know Apple they'll do fine because they get to keep that 30%. But Spotify, they have to give away the 30% tax to Apple and it really starts to cut down on the margins. And it makes me feel like it's not really going to be an even playing field if the platforms that control the payment infrastructure, you know, get to basically keep those taxes while everyone else has to pay them out. And that to me, I think fundamentally skews the, the, you know, the platform dynamics of the industry. And so we'd love to hear what you guys think about that. Like, do you think that Apple's 30% tax is fair on podcasts? Or is everyone so scared of being, you know, blackballed by Apple's uh, curators that they don't want to say anything? I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you saying that if Spotify wants to put their content in subscriptions on Apple, that they're paying that 30%? No, that if if Spotify wants to offer premium subscriptions for uh, for podcasts, if somebody wants to buy that in app on Spotify, they're going to have to, like app, Spotify is going to have to pay a 30% tax to Apple and just immediately really cuts down on both what the creator can earn as well as what Spotify can earn, you know, for being that platform of record. I might not have the latest information on this, but I think, uh, Josh, that's, that's where Spotify doesn't offer signups via Apple's app. You know, you have to sign up on the web and plenty of other companies have done that same thing. I guess what I'd say on a couple of these points, guys, and, I, and again, I'm not speaking on behalf of Apple. I'm not there, but I'm familiar with some of their products from the past. I, I think the 30% fee is the first year. It's 15% in second years. And I think what that does in part is help for both companies and the collaboration there to set up that initial offering. And then over time, if, if we're together good at retaining audience, that that cost goes down over time. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it high? I, I don't know. It's hard to compare. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited to see in this model is it's, it's the same model as the App Store. And if you think about all the things that happen with the App Store, you know, the, the emergence of the app economy, if we hit a new wave of a podcast economy here, 
And, and by the way, like this model makes it possible for publishers like Qcode to make all kinds of new content. You know, we are and we will continue to be an ad-driven company in many ways, but there's a lot of content, especially in our model, where we produce high quality, you know, series that are eight to 10 episodes. We, you know, we have to have enough ad inventory to support that season of a show. What this is going to enable us to do is think about shorter content, you know, maybe a single episode theatrical piece or three episode piece. Um, you know, we master all of our content with Dolby Atmos and do really high end sound design. You know, that stuff necessarily wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to monetize that in an ad driven model. So I think, you know, we're going to continue to, to sell ads and we're also going to be able to unlock, you know, the ability to make new content as Donald talked about, you know, with a monetization model like this. But I, but I think, yeah, there's, you know, there's some things that we're giving up with the, uh, with the amount of revenue that we're sharing, but, I, but I'm excited to see overall kind of what this does in terms of, you know, further taking podcast mainstream. So I can't believe I'm about to make the capitalist argument here, but guys, this is a marketplace, right? So here is one offer to the marketplace. And hopefully now that we, the smaller and medium-sized creators are being treated essentially as technology consumers and as technology customers, other people will come and bring other competitive advantages that might draw. I think that, you know, sort of like subtly disguised here is the moral argument that because Apple reigns supreme, they have a higher moral responsibility to be more equitable. If we have... 800 something thousand active podcasts that are very viable and that are, you know, driving consumers to their shows, then let other people rise up and give us other options, right? Because I do think that this is part of the evolution of the marketplace in podcasting. And I don't think that Apple bears, not at this point anyway, maybe five years ago, right? Maybe pre-serial because they really were dominant. They bore a bigger responsibility, sort of like the moral argument of the thing, but not anymore because there are so many players now and there are so many other people who have the ability to also come into the market with a product that is viable and attractive and can really even further democratize the system of earnings that we have, which is a very small funnel um, for the number of creators that are in the space. Go ahead, Stephen, then we'll, we'll move on to the next topic in a second. Yeah, I would just love to add to that. Jaleika, I love that you went philosophical there for a minute. Guys, I'm really excited about what this does for individual creators. Having worked with many, many creators, many of whom are actually in this room today, one of the things that I think is so exciting about this option as well, and again, I know it's going to come across as I'm, I'm biased here, but I work with so many creators who as they started to grow, they might have an audience in the you know, 10 to 15,000 downloads per episode range. As they grew, they were sort of you know, working day jobs, wanting to quit and go full-time in podcasting. But at that scale, advertising just doesn't work so well for you. And they were incentivized to join big corporate podcast networks where, uh, as Jaleika said earlier, you know, those rev share splits might be an 80-20 split on advertising with a big podcast network or probably less favorable at the smaller size, you know, like a 60, 40 or, or, you know, various levels. I think what this does is if you have an audience, if you have, you know, that thousand true fans or 10,000 true fans who really love what you're doing and you make really high quality content, you could set up a subscription for 10 bucks a month, if you will. And you have an audience who wants to pay for that. This is transformative. You don't have to go 
sell your content to a big corporate podcast network. And I'm saying this as an executive now from a podcast network. This is going to empower independent creators, independent voices, people who weren't going to be able to necessarily make it in podcasting on their own and quit their day jobs to actually build a business. And um, this is informed by my current experience and my past one. But I, I, I think, again, you know, when we think about the big picture of this, where the podcast industry is today and these sort of revs, rev share splits, I think it's actually quite competitive and advantageous for those great creators and, and going to power a lot of new voices to share what they do with the world. Okay. So from there, I want to move on to our next big topic, which is the other huge announcement that just happened in the podcasting industry, which is that Facebook is barreling headfirst into the audio space. It's launching live audio rooms, very similar to Clubhouse. I wonder where they got that idea. They're launching uh, sound bites, which is basically a feed of short audio snippets, a little bit more similar to Cappuccino or uh, Racket, if you're familiar with those new apps. Uh, and it's also going to be starting to allow you to listen to podcasts and subscribe directly from inside the main Facebook app. And so I would love to hear, maybe Alexis, you could start us off, but what do you think, do you think this is going to work? Do you think Facebook's actually going to like stay supportive of this model or is it more like, oh, they saw a clubhouse on the come up, they see Twitter launching spaces, they have to get into it. Um, and um, from there, and then uh, after that, I'd love to talk a little bit more about, you know, podcast clips and highlights and whether that's actually going to be a, a form factor and user behavior we're going to see a lot of. But Alexis, maybe you could just give us like, what was your gut feeling when you heard Facebook is like diving into podcasts? <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. When I saw all of the things that Facebook was coming out with, I was just like, oh God, I don't, I don't want to figure anything else out right now. We are moving so fast in audio and it is so exciting and it's opening up so many doors. But as an independent creator myself, meaning I don't have a ton of uh, like support from like I'm not with a network or whatever. My first thought when seeing that stuff is like, okay, we had, we now have new things that need to be figured out. This is going to be new types of content, new lengths of content that we are going to have to design if I want to stay relevant in that space. But to be honest, I don't think my audience is really on Facebook. So when I see that, I'm kind of like, all right, that might be good for some people, but it's not good for me. My audience isn't in what I would consider like the typical age demo on Facebook. And honestly, I'm, I'm looking at the idea of the short audio. I'm like, I, I can't figure that out right now. Like, I don't have time to figure out little short audio snippets. It'd be things like this. I guess I could do short rants, <laughs> but that's all I got. You know what I mean? Oh, you're great at the rants. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do this one minute a day. What about, what about the rest of you? What did you? What was your gut feeling when you heard Facebook launching in this? And do you think they're going to be successful here? Or what, what might be their best opportunity? I'm actually pretty skeptical. I played the bad girl here. Uh, about Twitter spaces, Facebook rooms, and Reddit, and so on. Obviously, they're bringing insane distribution to bear on this problem, and they have your interest graph, and they have your social graph. But unlike Instagram copying Snapchat stories, I don't think the opportunity is as obvious here, right? And I think the main thing is that, is that there's a mismatch in the medium. Twitter and Facebook primarily uh, is about scrolling a feed of information that's visual, that's information dense, right? Audio is the complete opposite. It's something you put on the, in the background, it has much more noise, it's rambling. It's not a, a tweet that's whittled down into 240 characters. Compare that to the success of, of Instagram stories. Uh, and I would bet that was primarily successful because uh, you know, it leveraged the same visual medium, right? Photos uh, into videos. Uh, it was a different format, but 
it had the same social graph and which just led to a higher frequency of posting and consuming for Instagram users. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, there's often this opportunity for creating the good enough competitor, which is that if you can build something that functions effectively similar to the alternative, but you bring existing distribution, existing social graphs, the way that Instagram did with its copycat of, of Snapchat stories, you can massively, you know, uh, cannibalize somebody else's market. But the problem is if you're trying to go way outside of your existing medium, it's so much harder to cram that into the app. And I feel like Facebook already gets enough complaints about being incredibly bloated, trying to do too much. And this just feels like one more layer of complexity. And one thing that I think is funny is that like they didn't really talk about this, but Facebook actually launched live audio uh, a few years ago. It was more like a single person being able to stream live the way that you can with video. But the idea was, oh, there's a lot of parts of the developing world where the um, where networks aren't fast enough for people to be able to stream video, but audio would let them still be, you know, be streamers. And that product pretty much seemed to flop in the sense that like, I never literally saw a single person using it. Anecdotes are not data. And maybe in those developing parts of the world, it might, may have fared better. But I was surprised that Facebook sort of glossed over its past rocky history here, as well as uh, its last product, Facebook Rooms, which it tried to launch in the middle of the pandemic, which was another sort of way to drop into video chat rooms with friends. And that similarly had just a really tough, complicated and bloated user experience. And I never saw a single person use it. So it's hard for for me to imagine that if they've consistently abandoned products in this space previously, that this is something where they trust and have enough faith in it that they're going to pour the resources into it that warrant creators getting really excited and you know debasing their existing content mod models. You know, we saw what happened when all those journalist uh, outlets uh, pivoted to video and then ended up having to you know fire all of those video people a few years later when Facebook turned away from video. So I think that that track record makes it difficult for creators to want to bet on them. But we'd love to hear what you think, Mike. The biggest question I have about all these different companies farting around in podcasting is, or in audio in general, is how big are these engineering teams? How big are these product development squads? And are we talking about actual investment from the company? Or are we talking about like a product manager and, and six engineers that are messing around and like trying to get their name out there and putting up a blog post? And we're all here kind of trying to figure out what's the future. And some of it I feel is just the air game, you know, like is, is Reddit betting its future on, on audio? I doubt it, but everybody's going to experiment and see if this magic that happened in the early part of Clubhouse is something that other folks can capture. And I think if they end up showing the data that they can, then they're going to invest and they're going to move more into it. But I, I don't see any of them as like significant threats to anything until they start to build any real traction. Because right now I think it's all just basic experimentation, just like that Rooms product was. I saw a brutal tweet, which was like, all these people are suddenly like celebrating the decrease in download rates for Clubhouse and thinking that like, oh, these big companies are going to stomp them. And they're like, wait a second, you're talking about like seemingly like the premier team in the world who are hiring incredible talent right now specifically to build this versus all of the aqua hired teams that are populating the product, uh, you know, product management teams on the Twitter spaces and all these other teams at other companies. And that's not to say these people aren't great, but you know, you're, you're basically pitting somebody who uh, like Paul from, from clubhouse who has succeeded in this space against a bunch of people whose products didn't end up working out. So I think that there's a lot, a lot of life left in clubhouse, no matter how many other clones get launched. Steve, what do you think? I love the interest in podcasts, right? Like I, I've been working in this medium since uh, effectively 2006. I, I worked on iTunes U, which was an educational podcast platform that Apple had before Apple Podcast. And um, 
you know, I think, you know, there was a time in which people thought audio was a career dead end, right? And I think if there's one positive thing about what we've seen over the last, you know, couple of weeks is that there, there is no doubt, there is no question that audio is mainstream. Facebook's investment is exciting. They're, they are a massive, massive global entity. And I think they can do a lot to help people around the globe think about broadly the, the transition from effectively radio, uh, linear radio to on-demand in podcasts. And I think that's fantastic for us all. I do have a little residence about, uh, reservations, I should say, about them and the way that we want to build our company. You know, Facebook has had a troubling relationship with, with publishers in the past. Data has not always been consistently served. And I think uh, excited to experiment with them as they grow their products. But, I, but I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for, you know, ways in which they're Interest in the platform is, is, is not necessarily the most publisher-friendly as, as it certainly could be. I'm definitely going to wait for WhatsApp to get into the podcast game. That's going to be the next game changer for us because the rest of the world, places like Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, uh, deep in Southeast Asia, the, WhatsApp is where people live their entire lives, especially people who are in any dias diaspora of any sort. Right now, the fastest growing newspaper out of the entire continent in Africa is a WhatsApp-only newspaper out of Johannesburg. And it is growing so fast, they cannot keep up with demand. And it's because that's where people are actually living their lives. And so... That's the one that I'm really waiting for. And I think it's going to come from somewhere else in the world first. Like I'm sure somebody somewhere right now is experimenting in beta with podcasts on WhatsApp. And by the time it gets to the United States, it will already exist as a phenomenon. And we're going to be catching up because we're waiting for our giant stateside to do something really radical. And you know, what's happening in the space, none of it is really radical. All of it very much follows the footprint of television and streaming and music. It's just that because podcasting has a really high metabolism, we're going through changes at four times the speed that any of those older industries who are sort of like our play cousins have ever gone through. So that's why there's so much excitement around it. But I think after Apple and who knows what Spotify is up to, the next big game changer is going to be whatever uh, WhatsApp decides to do with digital audio. Um, because then that's going to be an opening for the rest of the world to create on a platform that already dominates it, their daily lives. I would echo that real quick. I think it's kind of amazing that podcasting has gotten this far and exploded this big, you know, well past 100 million Americans a month now listening to the medium without being distributed on some of the biggest platforms where we find and consume content every day. Facebook, one of them, the next one's Google search, WhatsApp, like you said, and really YouTube. There's, con there's obviously podcasts on YouTube that's distributed and quote unquote pirated and available and you can listen to it, but it's not consistently distributed there in any meaningful, consistent way by YouTube. It's amazing that you have this medium that's grown this big with really a sort of constrained distribution model. RSS feeds picked up by a slew of apps for listeners here, there, and everywhere, where really the rest of the place we all get all of our content are places like Facebook and Google search. So for Facebook to jump in like this 
is awesome. Regardless of where this business model evolves, when WhatsApp comes up and starts to do it more consistently and rigorously too, it's a good sign of of how we're really in like the first, second inning of the TAM for audience long-term. And I, I know this may bleed into some of your other questions, Josh, around just discovery all up, but having that blown open through something like a social media platform like Facebook is huge. The next step I think that I look out for is Google search jumping in and when and how an audio mode appears at the top of search results is really the next sort of giant leap for podcasting and audio across the board. But again, why? Because it's just another way for the world, the billions of searches that are conducted every single month to discover the content we've been making for 15 years in this very consistent, polite manner of distributing it now starts to get really blown open. So it feels sort of a little wild because it's really starting to blow open through these huge platforms. But I, I have to say, I welcome it right now as sort of the next, the next chapter of this whole thing. That's a great point because the main thing, right, that we should all want if we are building businesses within this medium is that there are more avenues for discovery of shows, more avenues to introduce the 25% of the U.S. population that doesn't even know what a podcast is into this medium. So an investment by Facebook, I mean, if, if, if it goes well, I think it's an investment into the medium itself and the growth and the discovery of, like I said, existing shows, new shows, and just, you know, widening that net of podcast listeners. I completely agree with that. The thing that has to come with that is going to be increasingly sophisticated tools to help that universe make sense for podcasters, right? You're going to put something out. It's going to end up as a, you know, an audio clip on WhatsApp and a, a YouTube video version. And, you know, how are you going to make sense of your audience? How are you going to find out how many downloads you're getting to be able to report back to advertisers? How are you going to be able to see you know, I made this much money on Facebook and I made this much money on Spotify and I got this subscription on Apple and try to make sense of all that. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to get increasingly complicated for creators to be able to understand where their audience is and where their revenue is coming from and, and how to market in an environment like that. So hopefully tools will continue to emerge that to support these creators. Mike makes a really good point. I was watching closely how Google, who's talked about this pretty openly over the, the last three or four years, pulling more podcast content into search results, making, as they put it, podcast a first-class citizen in search, which hilariously, Facebook used similar terminology. But to Mike's point, the way that Google started to pull that in recently over the last year was to populate search results with podcast episodes such that when you'd click on it, it would play that podcast episode inside a Google podcast product that would still pull from your feed. You still, as the publisher, are in control centrally of what you're creating, publishing, distributing. That's awesome. That works. Totally. I think Mike's right. Other models get a little scary. I think what podcasting has been awesomely unique about is having that central control to the creator who controls where the show goes, what episodes they drop into their feed, what ad loads they choose to put in that show or not, where they choose to distribute it. It's all up to the creator. Once that starts to fracture in places like potentially Facebook, YouTube down the road, it changes. I'm not going to say it breaks, but it definitely changes a model so far that's been very, very creator friendly in terms of giving those controls to the creator. And to Mike's point, giving like central dashboards and measurement to hand over to brands. So it's going to be interesting <laughs> to say the least. I feel the need to be disagreeable here just for fun and, and not really. Um, I agree with, with, a lot, with a lot of what you're saying, Connell and Mike, but I guess this is, this is the exciting thing about podcasts uh, in the industry right now. We're all sort of struggling to find 
a comparable metaphor. At times we compare it to radio. At times we compare it to television and movies. And I love the centralization of, of podcasting and the RSS feed. You know, Dave Weiner and Adam Curry, what those guys did is, is truly incredible and, and, and has changed the world. I do think, though, that what we build at QCode is a little different, right? We are building cinematic movie and TV show type experiences. And I think distribution in, in those industries works pretty well. Those big media companies choose where they put their content. Uh, those partners that they have, like Apple and Roku and, you know, all those sorts of companies, you know, help with distribution. And by the way, you know, we're mastering all of our content in Dolby Atmos. The, the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, don't even support Dolby Atmos decoding today, but our content is ready to go for the future. Those files in a single episode are 40 gigabytes. It's incredible. So I'm thinking a lot about what the future of this industry is going to mean from the distribution standpoint. And part of my expectation is that those partners are actually going to help us with the cost of distribution. That's part of the value exchange that we have with the companies is that that's not something that we should shoulder to help them build their platform with our content. They should offer that up. And so I think that that's something that we should think about a little bit more in the future. I also think what has happened this last week is offering massive value for all of the kind of companies out there. As I mentioned, you know, you think about BAM Tech and they were acquired by Disney. You think about App Annie and companies in the podcast industry like Chartable, for example. I think it'd be super exciting to be at a company like Chartable who's really tried to and is building centralization and data across the industry, there's certainly a lot more work to be done here, guys. But what's really great is we're starting to get the pieces in audio that we've seen in other forms of entertainment. And of course, we're just going to have to go a little bit further in terms of thinking about, you know, APIs that can can push content, metadata, and, and those kinds of pipes. But, but it is working, you know, uh, content's pushed to Apple TV from the major publishers all the time. And uh, we just need to think a little bit about who that next wave of um, companies are that are going to help support that future. To that end, one of the things that I thought was most interesting that Facebook tried to is trying to launch is called Soundbites. And these are basically very short audio snippets that are going to be discoverable in a feed. And we've seen a bunch of other products attempt this. Uh, Cappuccino, Ratchet, and Ada. I know that Shuffle had sort of originally built a, itself as a podcast clip sharing network where you could share little audio clips with accompanying video uh, as a way for people to discover new podcasts. Maybe you could tell us, you guys moved a little bit away from that direction. You know, what do you think about the the future of these short clip, uh, you know, audio clip services and startups? Because, you know, We've seen this happen in video and in imagery with, with things like Instagram because it's so easy to sample video and photos really quickly. It takes you about one second to understand or even less if you like, care about a photo. Maybe it takes two or three seconds to know if a video is going to be interesting to you. But it can take a lot longer to figure out if audio is interesting. And so instead, you often are just sort of going by the titles and then it ends up being this sort of clickbait fest where it's just like, who writes the most provocative title to their little audio clip? And I don't think that that's the best way Way to discover quality. So Ada, maybe you could tell us about you know what you learned about the, the audio clip sharing space. So I'm still pretty bullish on this idea. I'm not sure what uh, time frame will succeed. And I don't know if Facebook will be the one to solve it. But I do think there will be a short form audio format that will emerge in the future and will be popular. For context, I've tried to build a similar TikTok for audio product in the past but was bootstrapped with uh, user-generated content of the best snippets from podcasts. There's many reasons why this intellectually makes sense. I think, number one, one thing we thought a lot about was about 
virality. So podcasts rarely, rarely go viral. And I'm talking about like long two-hour MP3 files, especially those that only have a, an audio component, not something like Joe Rogan, who, who has uh, video clips to go along. I would say the main reason why podcasts don't go viral is because they're not formatted for the internet today. It's way too long. It's an MP3 file. There's no visual. When you browse on Twitter, you see a ton of podcasts being shared, but nobody actually takes the time to click through and consume them on the spot. So short audio sound bites somewhat solves for this problem. The other reason that I think Facebook's effort is worth observing is that solving the cold start problem is something that, that's really difficult. So many entrepreneurs have tried this micro-podcasting idea, but it's typically very hard to kickstart a marketplace and get you know, enough high-quality content to make it worth the, the user's while and make it really retentive. And lastly, I think there currently isn't a way to browse audio, uh, spoken word audio, in an easy way, right? Uh, that's not a bunch of top charts. And so whoever ends up have it, having this feed could be that interface for, for audio browsing. So those are the pros, I would say. In terms of challenges, uh, A, we found it was very experimental. That's why we decided to move away from it. Uh, there are still many, many open questions, right? So how do you remix audio? How do you browse other people's audio? Is it primarily a hands uh, and eyes on or eyes off activity? You know, is there a visual component? We also found when speaking to users that context switching was very tough. Another classic problem we were struggling with is that we were relying on users to create the podcast clips. So we did get, you know, maybe five, 6,000 clips in a few short months, uh, but we ended up deciding to move away from it because we personally found that uh, at least within our community, uh, all of our power users were spending three to five minutes to create clips. But what they really wanted was to share a moment with the community and react to what they were hearing quickly, right? And that's why uh, we've pivoted Shuffle to be much more of a podcast reactions app. So thing, uh, kind of Apple Podcasts meets Reddit, uh, you know, you get to meet other fans, you get to see live, uh, well, it's async, but you get to see their reactions to the podcast content that you love. Yeah, does anyone else have thoughts here? Because I've been surprised, you know, I've seen a lot of people try to do this with music for like music discovery, like short clips, uh, but it's been really difficult for people to get this off the ground. And I think, like you said, you have a chicken and egg problem, you need great content first, but maybe Facebook's deep pockets and all of its relationships with creators could help them solve that. Though one of the things I'm worried about here is that Facebook is putting this in a separate app and Facebook has almost never succeeded with separate apps. It's just really difficult to get all these users who, especially if they already feel like, I already have like a lot of Facebook apps between WhatsApp, Messenger, Instagram, Facebook to get them to download something else. And so it, oftentimes, even though Facebook has this enormous distribution uh, advantage, it doesn't actually apply it to a lot of its new products. It practices some sort of social product Darwinism where it makes these products succeed on their own before it gives them a lot of uh, backup and support. And I, I, to me, I think it's going to be really difficult for it to succeed there. But we've also seen new things like Cappuccino and Racket trying out in this space. But I, I don't know whether it's going to be clips of podcasts that get cut down, if it's going to be original pieces of audio that get, uh, you know, that get shared out. But I would love to hear what you guys think is the, you know, how can we solve this fundamental problem that, you know, uh, Connell and Mike have been talking about, which is that, you know, 2 million podcasts on the Apple, uh, on Apple podcasts now, it's so difficult to get get discovered, especially, you know, if you don't have like a popular Twitter or something, getting traction and getting a podcast off the ground can be so difficult. So we'd love to hear uh, 
the panel's thoughts on, you know, how do we solve the podcast discovery problem? What is there a new form factor that needs to happen or what will unlock the ability for people to really easily sample and discover podcasts that they love? So Josh, it's interesting that you followed on with that question because what I was going to contribute to the short form audio conversation was actually about exactly this, which is that I think short form audio is a great way to promote your existing podcast. It's something I do every week on my show. I create little audiograms using an amazing software called Descript that helps you auto transcribe your show, edit it right in the editor, and then helps you create these visual audiograms that are captioned. And the reason I point that out is that I really believe that in order for any short form audio app or feature to succeed, you really need to be able to give creators a way to caption things really quickly and easily. I know this sounds semantic, this sounds, or sorry, this sounds pedantic. It sounds uh, not like super important, but it really is because if you're not captioning the things that you're putting out there, you're really missing out on a huge portion of people who are either for whatever reason are not going to be able to listen to your audio. And I think in terms of discovery, you mentioned if you have a big Twitter feed, that can be a helpful way to kind of get started. But I think that offering a short clip of your podcast with a captioned video is actually the answer to how you can make podcasts more shareable. I agree that like a two hour long MP3 file is just not going to cut it in terms of like getting those sweet RTs on Twitter. But having a short clip that has something funny or punchy or interesting, I think can help with discoverability. And what's great about Twitter, which makes it so easy to share with your network, you're getting that endorsement from your friend or from somebody in your network, which is something that podcasts are missing. You know, I don't know what shows my friends listen to unless I ask them. But if I'm on Twitter and I see a friend retweet a promo, that's that little social proof that I need from someone in my network that that's a show worth listening to. Okay, I have to come in and say that I really don't think that there is an actual podcast discoverability problem. I fundamentally believe that there is an audience discoverability problem, which is that we are not telling people to first find the audience and then make a show for them. People still believe that they can make a show and somehow magically the show is going to find its audience. And time and time again, when I talk to creators who are at the ideation phase and I just simply ask them, who are you making this for? They have no idea. And if you don't know who you're making this for, how are you going to put the show in front of them? And so I then, when I'm mentoring or teaching or just advising people, I say, you've got to come up with your avatar. You've got to know everything about this avatar and you have to substantiate it with statistics and you have to substantiate it with psychographic information from Nielsen and from Edison Research and from the U.S. Census and everywhere that you can find data because then you can understand where they are, quite literally, physically, what devices they're on, what their media consumption habits are, and then you can triangulate a subsegment of that and say, okay, these are the people I'm going after. And then they become your first followers. And the first followers are really the most important people in terms of anything that you're doing that is being done for the first time, because they're the ones who are going to convince other people, regardless of how passionate you are about what you're doing. It is the first followers that convince other people 
to follow what you're doing and to buy into it. And so I've never understood this argument about there's a discoverability problem in podcasting because I really don't believe that there is. If you know who you are going after, you can really easily find them. Yeah, I wanted to interrupt you just to clap uh, because that that's not talked about enough. I mean, people are making podcasts and hoping that someone magically finds it and it goes viral, right? Because it's good. Like people don't care if something is good because they don't know that it's good. They haven't heard it. Someone has to tell them that it's good. That person has to be that first listener or that first group of listeners. When we first launched Up and Vanish, it's a true crime podcast about a crime that happened in Osceola, Georgia, a town of uh, 2,000 people. We had a plan of how, who, who was our listener? It's 2,000 people in one town. So we bought Twitter ads, Instagram ads, Facebook ads, targeting those 2,000 people. And then it grew, just like when I was in music and we targeted the part of the city that the artist was from, and then the city as a whole, and then the region. And, you know what I mean? So it just grew from there. But you have to know, who do I want to listen to this? And if it's just your friends and family who don't listen to any podcast, then you're you're off to a terrible start. Because if you want podcast listeners, you find them because they're listening to other podcasts, right? So you have to know what are the shows that are like my show? How do I get on those shows? How do I cross promote? If you have zero listeners and another show has 300, you should be figuring out how you can get those 300 listeners on your show. It's not about looking at armchair experts and I'm making a show like that. How do I get on that show? It's never going to happen, right? You have to have a, a better plan before you decide to hit publish. And for us, discoverability was artwork matters. And I say that because this guy named Steve Wilson was at Apple podcast and saw our cover and tweeted about it. And he was just a myth. We just knew his name and could never get in contact with him, right? But he he saw our cover. He liked it. We were getting a little bit of traction at the time. We had gone from 5,000 listeners per episode to about 10,000. We invested in an ad in a podcast that was also about a Southern true crime in the same week that Steve decided to tweet about our cover. And from there, like the podcast and the company as a whole skyrocketed, and we haven't looked back. But we had a plan in place and you have to get lucky at the same time. And that's really what happened. But you have to you have to think it all the way through and not just think about once I finish, I, I publish it. And now I have a podcast and I can tell people I have a podcast. Or get Steve to be your first follower. There you go. <laughs> the kingmaker himself. <laughs> I, I'll just say, Donald, I love you. And I'm so excited by what you've built. And I'm just proud to be a part of it. And look, I can't agree more with Donald and Jaleika, I think this is all really funny if you switch mediums for a second, right? You know, you think about books or movies, no one's sitting around talking about a discoverability problem in TV or movies. Certainly there's a problem in terms of figuring out what to watch, but there's so many books out there. No one's saying, okay, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop making books or writing books because there's been a lot out there in the past. And people do say things like that in podcasts, right? It's a little bit funny and it's a little bit weird. And when we talk about clips, I I'm all for it, but you know, let's recognize the fact that Netflix and HBO are putting out cool clips that are making you interested in their content on social all the time. We don't think about it like a different sort of thing. We think about it as great marketing. And I'm all for great clips. And I think for certain kinds of shows, let's do it. Let's experiment. Let's get out there more and more. But but yeah, there's not a fundamental discoverability problem in, in podcasts that's unique to any other medium. I think the interesting thing is more so that the absolute audience in pod in, in audio and on-demand audio was small. And 
the number one way we make any decisions in any medium in terms of what we consume is word of mouth and what our friends are listening to or watching. And if your friends tell you the sequel to the Wonder Woman movie kind of sucks, you, you might not watch it. If everyone says Godzilla versus King Kong is pretty cool, you're going to watch it. So the problem in, in the past is there's this lingering question of, do you listen to podcasts? It's a little bit weird. No one asks, do you listen to, or do you watch TV? Do you read books? You know, like as audio continues to go more and more mainstream, this discovery topic that we're talking about in 2021, and it's been talked about for the last five years, is going to just slowly fade away. And I think... Yes, absolutely. There's new tools that can be made. I'm all for it. I want to use them. If you've got a startup and you're in this room, tell me about them. I, I want to try them out at Qcode. But I just think the fundamental presupposition, as Jaleika said so eloquently before, that you know discoverability in podcasts is broken is just kind of like a little bit of a trope. Maybe a better way to think about it is is like it's hard to grow your show. <laughs> like if you're a creator from the creator's perspective, it's hard to get noticed, right? You know, even if it's not two million, even if it's a couple hundred thousand active podcasts. You might be creating the best possible content that could ever exist in audio. And unless you have a big following somewhere else, it's going to take you years and years and years. You're going to have to hustle and hustle and slowly grow your audience to word of mouth. Now, I'm not saying you just automatically shouldn't have to do that and, and don't deserve it. But you look at a platform like TikTok, where like if you're just great at what you do and you can create content that people love, that app will help you get there. And I'm not saying there's a problem that we don't have that in podcasting. Um, but I do think there are a lot of undiscovered, amazing creators out there who are creating amazing audio that people would love to listen to, but maybe aren't the best marketers that are out there in the world. Um, you know, if you want to grow your show, you have a choice. You can work some other algorithm. You can try to get noticed on YouTube. You know, a lot of people think Joe Rogan's stuff is really driven by, by, by YouTube's algorithm. You can do cross-promotion, which, by the way, is a feature on Red Circle. You can upload a, a, a clip that uh, as a promotion of your show and partner up with another podcast and we manage the dynamic insertion of those uh, cross-promotional advertisements fully automatically. A uh, very powerful way to move your audience around because the listener is right there with the podcast app front of mind about what they want to listen to. Um, or you can put money to work in places like uh, buying ads on other shows or you know buying ads on Overcast. Like There are ways to do it um, to get noticed but it's it's I do think it's quite it's quite hard um, if you don't have a full marketing team behind you uh, or you don't have Steve's phone number or something like that. I want to add something one point here which hasn't been brought up, which is kind of surprising to me, which is that no one has mentioned that you need to be making a good podcast. <laughs> you need to be good at podcasting. <laughs> and the reason I bring this up because Steve made a great point saying, you know, you don't say, oh no, uh, something about the books and something about oh when you make a movie and then you immediately give up hours and hours and hours and hours of time goes into writing a book and hundreds of hours and hundreds of people go into making a movie. Podcasting, you can put up a podcast in let's say 90 minutes, right? If it's a talk show and you don't edit it. But the thing is, you don't get good at making that podcast by hitting record one time and talking for 90 minutes and then hitting publish. You get good at podcasting by doing it every week or twice a week or whatever it is. And then listening to your show and hearing audience feedback and asking your friends and really doing the work to get good at this medium. And so, Juleka, I love your points about, you know, making sure you know who you're making for. But as a creator, I would also say, before you over-engineer some of the analysis, really get good at what you're doing so that by the time you know what you want to talk about and you know who you want to talk about it to, you've actually got something to bring to the table. And then creating those clips and doing the collaborations and doing those strategic cross-promotional ad spots, all of that, I think, can pour gasoline on your fire as opposed to trying to pour gasoline onto like an empty pit in the ground. 
And I just want to add a little bit to that. So I definitely agree the content needs to be good, right? Um, and you need to understand where your customer is, just like a startup. Uh, I would say maybe part of the criticism is that all of the large apps today have the exact same UX when it comes to podcast discovery, right? It's literally like flipping through a TV catalog of top charts. And as a user, I point at things that look interesting based off the album art and the description, which seems like a really kind of ineffective and old way to get recommendations, right? Um, I would say our current approach at Shuffle is actually quite different from all of the other podcast players. We're trying to capture inter uh, podcast fandoms and use aggregated social signals, right? So how many fans are reacting to your room or your episode? Uh, are your fans actually talking to each other and forming relationships? Uh, and actually where I uh, discover a lot of my podcasts now is by watching how quickly subreddits are growing for smaller podcasters, uh, which is interesting, but it's definitely not what Reddit was designed for. If you guys want to uh, to submit questions in the audience, we're going to take another question or so uh, before we wrap things up. But we got some uh, other awesome uh, ideas here. You know, I, I really like the idea of cross promotion. I think that that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. I think we've seen a lot of creators in the video space blow up in this respect. Viners, for instance, did a really great job of basically creating an oligarchy of top creators by guesting in each other's videos and then revining them and resharing them. And that really created this sort of subset of the creators that got way bigger than everyone else really quickly. And so I would love to see more people doing that. And you know, that's exactly what Substack's founders told me last week uh, on, on Press Club. And if you guys want to hear that show, we have a Press Club podcast. Uh, you can get it at constein.club or constein.club slash listen, uh, where you can instantly download it for any uh, app you want. But on the show last week, the Substack founders were talking about how they know to justify their 10% fee, they need to be able to grow you more than 10% a year. And one of the ways they really think that they can help do that is by connecting creators together so that they can cross promote each other because who better uh who like what a better potential target audience for you than people who are already consuming in the medium that you're using especially creating uh or consuming from creators who are similar to you so i think there's a huge opportunity for that um so yeah and in a minute we're going to take an audience from a uh, question from the audience uh, as one of our readers uh suggested they wanted to know a little bit about what your best tips are for helping get discovered so we're going to throw it around the horn in just a minute to talk about that but first i want to give you uh some quick takeaways uh from today's show because there's been some awesome awesome insights um so thank you everyone for, for joining so far so you know i think the we, we started by talking about uh creators exploring new genres wireless headphones and international listening expanding the sort of market for podcasts that they're finally going mainstream but at the same time with over two million podcasts you know it's starting to get difficult for them to find listeners even if listeners can have uh find them uh, it's harder to go the opposite direction and we're also seeing this corporatization of podcast creation where big companies with big budgets are coming in to create very specific well-researched board boardroom-based shows rather than the more organic stuff that used to succeed. Um, and when we got into talking a little bit about Apple Podcasts' new move, where they're going to be offering subscription, premium, paid uh, podcasts on their platform, you know, People were actually surprisingly positive that, you know, they're not actually act asking for the content exclusively. You could put this paid podcast somewhere else as well. Uh, that Apple offers really great usability for being able to do single sign-on payments. That's way better than trying to do, you know, payment for like a Patreon exclusive podcast. Um, and you can, with these paid podcasts, you can really go deep with a specific audience. You can stop worrying about maybe offending your really casual listeners and really just make that niche content that your deepest, most hardcore fans care about. And at the end of the day, 
This is going to be good for creators because it means they can finally make more money. That said, there is there are some downsides here. You know, they're not giving nearly as much information about subscribers. There's no way to sort of contact subscribers that you get paying for your podcast on Apple. And that's surprising because oftentimes that payment method, that, that motion is one of the best ways for you to actually collect a long-term connection to that fan. And I think a lot of creators in this modern age are thinking about how do I get outside of the algorithms? How do I get, you know, beyond the sort of distribution through mediated platforms and actually own my audience? And that really requires getting that contact information uh, collection. And that's something that podcasting already makes it hard enough to do. And Apple doesn't seem to be doing anyone any favors there. Uh, they're also not giving you deeper statistics that you might really need. But that said, they don't have a monopoly the same way anymore. They certainly are one of the largest uh, places that people download and listen to podcasts. But with the advent of all of this corporatization of podcast content, there's a lot of other players and there's a lot of other platforms as well. Then when we talked about Facebook, you know, they're adding a lot more complexity to existingly bloated platforms by uh, launching all these new features like live audio rooms, podcast listening on Facebook, and a new SoundBites app for short clips. Uh, and a lot of creators don't necessarily think their audience is on Facebook anymore. But what they do do is they bring this insane distribution because they have both your interest and your social graph, but it's not necessarily going to be as easy because rather than cloning a type of content that they're already used to doing, the way that Instagram succeeded heavily with cloning Snapchat stories because it's all really visual media and photos and videos, you know, with this, Facebook and Twitter are kind of grasping at a very different medium than their users are used to, which is visual content, you know, browsed through a, or a vertical feed. And so it may be a, a heavy thrash to get users to completely redefine how they think about behaving inside of Facebook just to be able to discover podcast clips uh, or short form audio clips or listen to long form podcasts there. And given the prior uh, lack of support and faith that Facebook's had in some of its newer products like live audio streams uh, or its Facebook rooms feature uh, and the ways that they've treated publishers in the past where they've dangled a bunch of distribution for publishers, gotten them to switch or pivot to video or pivot to a new type of content like instant articles and then kind of failed to support that going forward. And that left these, you know, these publishers very thrashed, having to lay off big parts of their staff. A lot of creators are pretty hesitant about getting on board. That said, if WhatsApp were to get into podcasts, a lot of us think that would be huge because it's available around the world, very, very popular, especially in developing nations, which might not have as great of the rest of the podcasting infrastructure that people are used to. And they could be inherently viral there. Um, because you know, one of the biggest issues for podcasts to date is that they're popular, but they could be way more popular if they were actually distributed through the most popular apps in the world, Facebook, Instagram, Google search, WhatsApp, and YouTube in a more formal way. And you know, Facebook joining into this race could actually help the whole podcast industry rise by just making it a lot more mainstream. Uh, but the problem is that audio to date has not been very viral. You know, podcasts don't go viral regularly because they're two hours long, they're very long, they're MP3s, which a lot of social networks don't even accept, and they usually don't come with visuals attached, which make them a lot harder for you to discover. Um, and there's also a cold start problem for a lot of the micro podcasting apps. It's like, how do you get people to build a type of content that they've never even listened to or consumed before? Uh, but Facebook's deep pockets here and its relationships with creators could really help. Um, but you know, I think that visual component is critical when it comes to discovery, because a lot of people, they don't actually even listen to a clip when they're discovering a podcast. They're looking at the artwork, they're looking at a brief description. And I think that's one of the reasons why po podcast discovery is so broken is 
we're using these proxies for quality, um, you know, uh, or like, you know, the, the richness of the artwork or how professional that looks, or, you know, if a quick description sounds like it makes sense to you rather than having actual clips of those podcasts. And that's why, you know, people like Ada have tried to build this out. Uh, and, you know, Alexis is using Descript to be able to create short audiograms to give that, uh, that virality because, you know, one of the best ways that we discover anything is through trusted recommendations. And it's really hard to recommend podcasts right now. I think one of the biggest problems is that when people recommend me a podcast, they're like, oh, you should listen to this podcast. But I'm like, which episode? There's hundreds of episodes and they vary heavily based on my interests and, uh, and their own quality. And so I'm often like, I need a specific episode to go to. So I think there's a lot that could be done to fix this. But one of the biggest issues is that, you know, while a lot of people think that there's a podcast discovery problem, really perhaps it's that there's an audience discovery problem because people are just build, making content without putting that much work into it. And it's actually not that good, or they're just launching without really understanding what audience they're building for. And so one of the best pieces of advice from our panel so far has been think about what audience you're building for and figure out how to market to them specifically before you even get started recording. And with that, I want to kick it out to the rest of the panel. Uh, maybe we'll start with Connell uh, to ask, what is your best tip, your best trick of trick of the trade for getting better discovery and growing your podcast? I don't know that there's one. I wish there was a silver bullet, but if I were starting out my own show, I would deliberately map out my 10,000 hours as it were. I would pick a topic I was passionate about and that I was probably gonna be talking about whether or not the microphone was on or off. I would launch it myself. I would choose a business model. I would decide if I wanna go subscription model on Patreon or Apple Plus now, or if after I have a little bit of an audience of my own and a little bit of ramp, if I'd reach out to a network and ask them to make a deal with me where I give them a little rev share, maybe a little ownership, and they give me marketing and accelerate the whole process. And I'd reach out to other podcasters. It might've been Donald who said it, but at the end of the day, this is a medium that's now hit scale, pretty mass reach scale, but the creator community in podcasting, I feel is still in a bit of a honeymoon period where we're all friends and work together. We compete for ears day in, day out. We all want to grow our shows and we all love the content we make and we want everybody to listen to it, but we all partner together and throw each other recommendations and, and support. That's a good first step or third step or fifth step, but an early step for a new creator is to reach out to the well-known creators in the medium. They're all real still accessible, which is pretty unique. Awesome. Mike, what's your advice? I don't want to be completely self-serving, but I'll, I'll do it a little bit and say, uh, I think that one of the easiest and most powerful ways to grow your podcast is to execute uh, cross promotions with other podcasts in a similar category with, um, with similar size audiences, um, right? You're not going to be able to cross promote your podcast on, on Joe Rogan if you're not that big and, and nobody is. And, um, uh, and you want to find audiences that are going to be interested in your show. The more authentic that cross promotion can be, the better. If the other host can truly endorse your content and say, go check this out, that's powerful. Um, and if you can find an audience that truly matches yours, that's powerful. Red Circle has like a fully automated platform for executing those promotions with other podcasts hosted on the platform. It's totally free. But, you know, sometimes we see them work and sometimes we see them don't. And, and when they work, it's because the endorsement from the other podcast is authentic and the match between audiences is a true match. And when you find that magic, it can actually move audiences in significant numbers 
And if you can do it a couple times and, and find those matches, that can totally revolutionize the size of your audience. Love it, especially as you guys are a Signal Fire portfolio company. And it's been really awesome watching you guys adapt uh, to all these new opportunities, especially the cross promotion stuff, which I think all creators across whatever medium it is, figure out who are your peers, figure out how you can big up each other. You're not going to lose your audience to somebody else. You're just going to magnify it together. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Look, Josh, I know you distribute this as an on-demand podcast, but the magic of us being here in a social audio app is the opportunity for the people here in the audience to interact with those that are in this room. And I would say I would use my time to promote Chaleka and Twyla, who's right here in the followed by the speakers section, who do an incredible uh, clubhouse group called Podcasting Seriously. If you're not following it and you're looking at growing in podcasting, you should be. Also, Barry is here, who runs Podcasting Color. Ariel, who does some incredible work as well. You need to follow these people right now, both here on Clubhouse and on Twitter. They give incredible advice and they um, talk about the best uh, tips and best practices for growing in podcasting all the time. And I think that there are people to pay attention to and learn from and contribute to the communities that they're growing. So yeah, that's that's what I would say. Julika, maybe you could just jump in then. Listen to your listeners is my advice. Read the reviews, read the comments, read their emails, and survey them. So you can do, you know, a one-question quick survey on Twitter, or you can do twice a year, 10, 20-question survey, but you have to continually ask them what they think, and then you have to apply it. The other way that you should listen to your listeners is by looking at your stats. Make sure that at least once a month, you're averaging out your last four listen-through rates. Because if you are below 60%, you've got to change something. 60% is the average for the industry. You don't want to be average. You want to be excellent. And that's one of the ways. You may be making too much audio and people are not listening to you know, the entire thing. Also, look at your rate of subscriptions on, on Spotify, on Apple, everywhere that you can get that statistic, look at it and see how it trends over time, right? Because what you want is a depth of engagement. Because remember, a download is worthless. That's my personal opinion, not the panels. But a download is only 60 seconds of listening. That doesn't tell you jack about what your show is doing well, what it's not doing well. And so listen to your audience and listen and solicit and pay for their time. Get a focus group going, do a raffle to get people like we do. We do, we raffle a little Amex gift card, but that gets us a ton of responses that are, then make our survey results statistically valid. And we learn from every single bit of information that we get from our listeners. That's some incredible advice. Uh, Ada, what's your, what's your suggestion? What are your tips? I think one of the most powerful ways to grow your podcast is to make your podcast a cult. Right. And, and you do this by creating a community around your podcast. And I think you can do this even if you have a, a very small listenership. Right. All you need is 100 true fans. Uh, you know, Joe Rogan and Bill Simmons have done this really well on Reddit over the last 10 years, I would say. And why this is important is when you have community, you're basically getting an army for free. Right. They're spreading word of mouth for you. They're wearing your merch. They're talking uh, about you to their friends. Right. Uh, and more concretely, I, I think this means a few things. One is creating a space to house your community uh, and letting your fans bond and connect with each other. Right. Uh, selfishly, I think Shuffle is the easiest way to do this uh, for podcasters, but it can also be a Facebook group, Reddit and so on. 
And I think like Juleka said, uh, you really want to treat it like a startup, right? Listen to your friend, uh, your fans, take their feedback. Uh, you want to shout them out on, on the pod and reward them. And lastly, we see this with many comedy podcasts. They have inside jokes with their fans. They have a term of endearment for them. They identify themselves by it. So uh, on Armchair Expert, they call themselves armchairies, right? Uh, and you see this because fans respond to this. They, they buy out merch within 24 hours and they're super proud to wear that merch and to identify as part of the podcast. So I think that's super hard to do, but if you can do it, that, that's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing those with all those press clubbers out there. Thank you guys for listening again. Uh, Donald, what's your suggestion? Yeah, I think everyone touched on it a little bit and I would, I'll take it um, maybe in a different direction where, you know, obviously everyone needs to grow a community around their show but you also need to grow a community around yourself, right? This is an industry. And what groups are you a part of? Plural groups. What what organizations are you a part of? You know, as chairman of the Podcast Academy, I would uh, ask everyone to join the Podcast Academy. It's, you know, we're committed to supporting podcasters, growing the medium as a whole. And if you don't have access, that's what we provide. You know, you, you can sign up and, and get a mentor. Um, if you have experience, you can mentor someone else. Uh, if you're going to create a community around your show, it's only going to go as far as you can create a community around yourself. So what, what like Connell mentioned, having relationships within this industry. So when you're looking for those trades, who can I swap with? You, you're now talking to other people who are committed to helping you grow your show and to, for you to grow yourself as a um, professional in this industry. And I think you have to invest in yourself the way you invest in your show. So if that means, are you going to She Podcasts? Are you part of Black Pod Collective? Are you in contact with Podcasts in Color, with, with Barry? Are, are you actually making, reaching out to the people who can help you and really building the community around yourself so that you can excel as well as your show? Alexis, why don't you bring us home with some final tips? Oh, what an honor. Okay, I'm going to keep it tactical. Here's the deal. If you're going to start a podcast and you want to grow it, like I said, you have to be good at podcasting. A couple things that I think you can do to do that are to pick a topic that you would talk about for free or that you already find yourself talking about or researching that you have the passion that will carry you through when you don't feel like doing the show. Also, buy a good mic. Please buy a good mic pretty please hire an editor is another good tip. I truly resisted hiring an editor for, um, before I published my podcast and my friend said, who's, who's going to edit your show. And I said, Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to learn how to edit audio. And that was fine for the first seven hours of trying to edit it. And then I was like, Oh, Oh, I need an editor. So if you can afford it and you think it's worth the time cost, I'd highly recommend that. And then I think this is the most important piece, which is that commit to a published schedule and stick to it. Because on the internet, as everybody knows who's in this space, consistency and repeatability is key. You're essentially making a promise to your audience when you say, my podcast gets published on Wednesdays. That means every Wednesday, they're hopefully going to expect there to be a new episode in the feed. And you want to deliver on that as often as you can. So publish episodes regularly and do not skip unless it's either you're taking a week off or you're closing out a season or it's a major holiday or something like that. I'd also say ask for reviews. Ask for something fun in your reviews. My show is an interview podcast with influential people from tech and business, but we don't talk about tech and business. So in my reviews, I ask people to leave me a lot of tech lingo and corp speak, and then I promise to read it on the show if I think it's funny. Also, somebody spoke to this earlier. I think it was Donald about engaging your community. And a way that I would frame that is give a space to open a dialogue. So for example, I have a dedicated Twitter handle for my show, which is at non-technical pod. And it gives me a little bit of freedom to actually separate from 
me as just at Alexis Gay and post stuff that's relevant to the show, but that might not be relevant to my audience as an individual. So I'll, I posted a photo of me with a cup of coffee saying, writing new questions for the show. Does anyone have any ideas? And in that way, I was trying to bring listeners in, show them I, I'm genuinely interested in hearing what you have to say. And then I can also respond back right there. So those are my tips because I really believe making a good show is the absolute foundational building blocks to getting that show a big audience. Those are amazing. So I'll just give a quick recap of those tips again. You know, pick something that you care about, understand your audience first, plan out the business model, maybe even talk to a network about doing an exclusive or a deal to get that marketing and promotion and reach out to other creators for advice. Match with similar size creators for cross promotion, get an authentic endorsements and an accurate match and you can massively move listeners over. You know, find some reputable podcasting gurus like Julika uh, to subscribe to that you can learn tips from and listen to your listeners directly. You know, check your metrics and see if, you know, something's going wrong. If you don't have deep listen through rates, you got to change something uh, and identify where you have depth because don't, downloads aren't that useful. You need people who truly love you. And that might mean doing focus groups, doing uh, raffles and getting feedback uh, or asking for fun ways to get feedback, like reviews where you uh, add something funny in them, where you will then read that on the air. That can really incentivize people because you want to make your podcast into a cult, you know, a community with maybe starting with a hundred true fans, hopefully a few thousand soon enough, you know, whether you're building on Reddit or Discord, getting that free army and giving them a pet name, like I'm calling you guys now press clubbers, like hope you like it, uh, that can really help. And you also need to grow a community around yourself, you know, what, figure out what groups and organizations you're part of and grow yourself as a professional in the industry. And, you know, just make sure that you have the equipment you need, a good microphone, a great editor, commit to a regular schedule so people can uh, expect you, you know, start a separate Twitter account and just be mindful of burnout because it's no, if you turn this into a job and it feels like a job, it's going to be tough to give that passion. And it comes through in your voice. People can hear if you really care about this. So thank you guys all for joining us today on Press Club. If you're building something interesting uh, on the future of audio, we would love to hear about it. We're a billion dollar venture fund investing in early stage startups, including ones like Red Circle, uh, which is making a, is a great place to host your podcast and monetize it. Um, and if you're looking for other awesome creator tools, check out spore.gg. They make an awesome podcast landing page, uh, which can help you to make sure that people can find your podcast on whatever app they care about. Uh, and yeah, if you're building something new, we'd love to hear about it. But otherwise, it just means the world to me to actually get to have your ears for an hour and a half. If you want to hear the recording of this, if you miss some of the show, please go check it out on constine.club slash listen, or just search for Press Club on wherever you like your podcasts. Uh, we've got some awesome episodes recently, ones on the future of newsletters. Uh, we, we had a show with Mark Zuckerberg and the CEOs of Spotify and Shopify, one on back to the office or whether we're going to be remote forever with the CEOs of WordPress and Slack. We had Patreon's Jack Conti on the show recently, as well as Substack's founders. So if any of those sound interesting to you, go check out the podcast. Uh, it's under Press Club. You can find it wherever you want. So one more time, I'm Josh Constein from Press Club. Uh, I'm a venture capitalist at SignalFire. We'd love to hear what you're building. So if you would like to pitch us, please hit me up in the comments of my newsletter at constein.substack.com or just go to constein.club and find one of the many ways uh, to, to get in touch with me. We'd love to hear what you're building. Otherwise, we'll see you back here 6 p.m. Thursdays on Press Club, where we bring together big names in tech to talk about the big issues. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you one more time to everybody on stage with me today. Please go give them a follow. They are incredible. Canal from iHeartRadio, uh, Mike from Red Circle, the post, uh, podcast hosting company, Steve Wilson making some really awesome podcasts over at Qcode, Ada and her awesome podcast discovery app, uh, Shuffle, uh, Julieka's podcasting seriously, uh, and all the guru, guru tips that she's got for you, Donald and Tenderfoot, uh, 
and Alexis with her awesome show, Non-Technical, and just a wonderful comedian. Thanks for being our surprise guest this, tonight. But yes, thank you guys all so much for this. Check, look out for the podcast of this show coming out in just a few days. But otherwise, it's been an absolute pleasure. We will see you here next week. I'm Josh Constein from Press Club. Farewell, Press Clubbers. <laughs>